0: In the next couple weeks, we're wrapping up our sermon series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching in Matthew five to seven. Uh, this uh, this week, we're gonna um, look at this this passage uh, uh, where Jesus warns the uh, the disciples, and then next week we'll look at uh, the building your house on the on uh, the sand or the rock, and then that will be uh, that will be it. And then we'll look at Proverbs for the, uh, for the summer. But this morning, uh, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, they're on the, the screen behind me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? How how can we know? How can we have that assurance that we are one of God's children and that we have um, everlasting life waiting for us, that that we have the assurance that Jesus has forgiven us from our sins and that we belong to him? That's a really common question that I get as a pastor. How can I know? Am I a Christian? There's even a... uh, A writer for the New York Times, and he has a column. It's it's a couple times a year, and it's it says blank. Am I a Christian? Nicholas Kristof has this column. Says blank. Am I a Christian? And so far, he's had on there, um, you know, a couple of different pastors. Um, He's had uh, a Catholic, you know, uh, a cardinal. He's had. Uh, He even asked Jimmy Carter, you know, former President Jimmy Carter, who's a Baptist Sunday school teacher, and I really feel for, I really feel for Nick Kristoff, because he wants to be a Christian, he wants to have that assurance, he wants to, to know and to have that peace, but he has lots of objections, and he can't bring himself to believe, you know, the things that we've confessed about the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting, and And Jesus being the way to salvation. This morning, Jesus addresses that. He addresses that question. And what he says is that a true Christian is moved by grace to make Jesus their Lord. A true Christian is moved by grace, by God's grace and his love shown on the cross. Not the things we do, not the works that we have, but believing in Jesus. Experiencing his grace. That's what makes us an authentic Christian. So this morning, I want to hold that question before all of us. And it's something that I've been reflecting on all week, and it's something that I want you to reflect on. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know not anyone else. It defeats the whole purpose to be worrying about someone else. Well, you know, I don't think this person's a true Christian. I don't think my, ex, my, you know, my ex-husband or my ex-wife or this person or that person is a Christian. No. That's missing the whole point. Jesus is holding this before us. Are we right with God? Are we believing in him and trusting in him alone for our salvation? Jesus, when we, on that day of judgment, the day that he refers to in this passage, Jesus is going to say two things. He's going to say one of two things to every single human being that's ever lived. He's either going to say what he says here. I never knew you. I never knew you. What a sad thought and a troubling thought. But he's also going to say... Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, experience the blessing of a life with me forevermore. Those are the two things that Scripture tells us Jesus will say on that final day. So in this passage, Jesus gives us three things. I've, uh, I've made it all start with W so that I can remember and so that you can remember. Jesus gives us a warning First, he gives us a warning. Then he talks about the works, the works that are done. And then he talks about the way out, the way out. Warning, works, and way out. That's what Jesus says in these verses this morning. So first, Jesus gives us this warning, this, this hard saying first. And even as I was reading it, some of you looked perplexed. <laughs> and, and, I, and I've experienced that too, too. This week, you know, Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a warning. You know, I don't know how else to say it. It's just, it's just a warning. Jesus is saying that there's lots of people that are floating down a river and enjoying this great time and this great life and pursuing their own wants, their own desires, and they're floating down a river. And what they don't know is around the next bend is a waterfall that's going to kill them. It's going to destroy them forever. And Jesus, a lot of us have maybe heard this metaphor or heard this picture, and sometimes it's picture that Jesus is on the shore there and he's throwing out um, you know, a, a life preserver and he's saying, you know, please, grab one of these life preservers. I can, I can protect you. You don't have to go through this. But I actually think that Jesus is just in the water with us. And he's just out there holding out his arms. That's what the cross is, right? He's holding out his arms and he's grabbing as many people as will just hold on to him for dear life and come with him and be protected. It's it's a warning. And as your pastor... I have to give these warnings. This is what Jesus says. This is what the scripture preaches. From my heart, I'm warning you. Grab on to Christ. Hang on to him, even in those dark nights, even when things don't make sense, even when you're troubled. Hang on to Jesus. My, my former pastor, Ken Kuman, and he was a pastor here as well, he made such an impact on my life. Even in even when I knew him and worked with him, he was 70 years old and he that guy could preach. Boy, he could preach. From his heart and and 99% of his sermons were upbeat. They were positive. They were about the love of Christ. They were about the grace of Christ. And a couple of times he preached sermons of warning. And I never forget them. (laughs) I never forget them. I can still picture him up there. He told me privately that there were about eight couples in the church whose marriages were on the brink, who were headed for divorce, who were going to ruin their lives. And he felt compelled, compelled by God, compelled by the scriptures to give that warning, to say, you're going to shipwreck your life. Cling to Christ. Nikki, Nikki Gumble, Pastor Nikki Gumble, he says this: Each generation has a responsibility to tell the next one about the goodness of God and to warn them of the mess that we make when we turn away from that goodness. That's all we're doing. God is good. God is good. God is faithful. God is loving. God is, is full of hope. And yet we have to warn people. We have to warn the next generation. We have to warn each other that we'll make a mess of our lives if we turn away from his goodness and from his grace. Jesus gives us that warning. And then he talks about these works. And this is interesting, right? Because these people are doing good works. Let's let's look at them again. Jesus continues, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? On that day, Jesus is talking about, you know, the judgment day, the day of judgment at the end of time. And he's talking about these things that they have done, these three things. And I have to tell you that The people doing these things, they are doing the right things in the wrong way. They're doing these things for the wrong reasons. They're doing doing three things, and, and I'll unpack them, and then let's look at why Jesus is critiquing them. First of all, they have good doctrine, they have good doctrine, they have orthodox doctrine. If they were around today, they'd be saying the Apostles' Creed. They'd be holding up the authority of Scripture. They'd be saying Christ is Lord, because that's exactly what they say. They say, Lord, Lord, Kyrios. you know, the, 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 the Greek word for Lord. They know he's God. They know he's the divine Son of God, and that's how they address him. Secondly, they're emotionally involved. You know, there's there's an emotional uh, thing that's going on with all of them. They say Lord, they say Lord, Lord. You know, they double the name. That's the way that that you show um, emphasis in the scripture. Because I don't know if you guys know this or remember this, but there's no punctuation in the Greek Bible as we receive it. So the translators have to add periods or commas or semicolons or exclamation points. And the way that you know to add an exclamation point is repetition. Lord, Lord. Think about that. This happens all the time in the Old Testament, too. David said, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. He's he's crying out, he's emotional. And that's what these people say to Jesus. So these are the people that they get into worship. They're emotionally involved. They, um, you know, they, they might shed a tear. I mean, I do that too. I'm not critiquing it. But they're emotionally invested. So they've got good doctrine, and they're emotionally invested. What, what's the problem here again? What's Jesus talking about? And third, it says that, they, that they're active in service. You know, they do these, these good works, even these miraculous works. They, they they prophesy you know so that's like a that's a teacher or a Sunday school you know Sunday school teacher or a preacher like myself or somebody who speaks a word of challenge to uh, to a, a group of people don't you think this is sobering to me too that jesus is saying that that teachers and pastors will say to him, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you? Talks about people that cast out demons like the disciples did, and that they they did healing works, they did mighty works. But then Jesus gives this verdict. Dale Bruner, who's the leading scholar of the book of Matthew, he translates it this way. He says, I never really knew you. Please get out of my face, you doers of the very opposite of my teaching. I looked at that and I thought, well, at least Jesus said please. At least he said please get out of my face. He doesn't just say, I never knew you. Get out of my face. The Jesus that I know, it breaks his heart to say this. But he's also a truth teller. And it's not that people backslid, that they were in and then they they were out later. No. Jesus says, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And this is this is striking. (laughs) This is confusing, maybe. Is it is it cruel? No. Because Jesus is saying it's not about the works. That you've done. These people have done the right things for the wrong reasons. Their heart was never in it. The motivation was all wrong. The reason that they did all these so called -called miracles was because they liked the attention that it got them. They liked the power that they had in being able to heal people, they liked the feeling it gave them. Jesus says, those who enter the kingdom do the will of my Father in heaven. What is that? The will of God is to believe. To believe in Jesus. To trust in him alone for our salvation. It's not the stuff that you do. Even these miraculous things, even these audacious things, even these crazy things, It's not the stuff that you do. It's trusting in Jesus alone. There will be people who prophesy and who do mighty works and heal people, and they'll think to themselves, not only am I going to heaven, I'm going to the highest heaven. I'm going to be right up there. I'm going to be tops in heaven. I'm not just going to have a mansion. I'm going to have the biggest mansion. And Jesus is saying, no. No. The prostitutes and the tax collectors and the homeless people and the outsiders and the rejected people in this life, they're getting in before you. Why? Because the pastors and the miracle workers get up there and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm not like other people. And the prostitutes say, Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for all the things that I've done. Forgive me for my half-hearted repentance. Forgive me for doing all these works, trying to get the attention of other people, and not because I love you. The way out. How do we know? I mean, the, the... This reminds me of when Jesus' disciples... Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples said, what? What? How how is it even possible for any of us if the rich can't get into heaven? And Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible because Jesus saves sinners. He saves sinners like you and me. And that's our way out. Having faith in Christ, believing in Him, trusting in Him. And there's two things I want to share with you as we wrap up. First, it's about about Christ's lordship, you know, making Him Lord. We say that so much, we sing about it, we talk about Jesus the Lord. But have we made him our Lord, our King, the one that we look to, the one that we're surrendered to? That's why I said at the beginning, a true Christian is someone who's moved by grace to make Jesus Lord. We see what Jesus has done for us. We see the grace flowing out on the cross, and we make him our Lord. If you you want God for God's self, then you have to surrender you have to remember that he's in the driver's seat, not you. That he's the one that's reigning and ruling. My, my uh, track coach in college, he's one of the greatest men that I ever knew. And he always told us, it, his, his like life motto was, Lord, I'm available to you. Lord, I'm available to you. And he said that every time before his, heat, his feet hit the floor every morning, he says, Lord, I'm available to you. You're in charge. I'm not in charge. What do you want me to do today? That's why I made those little index cards in the uh, bulletin this morning. Because I surrender all, it captures it. So I invite you to just take that. I put the, the verse for this morning. And... Um, wake up every morning to that and sing that song or read that song and remember, all to Jesus I surrender. That's that's what it means to make Him your Lord. The the authentic Christian, the true Christian, isn't isn't more moral, isn't more self-controlled, isn't better than anyone else they're just more humble. They realize that Jesus is king. And I want to stre- I want to stress this. I mean, it's just about us being teachable. It's about us, you know, modeling this lifestyle of repentance and faith. You know, we mess up. We all mess up. But are we quick to repent? Are we the chief repenters, you know, in our family? When we're confronted, I, I think especially as a, as a parent, you know, modeling that to our children—that being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're better than anyone else. Being a Christian means you're forgiven, and so we can say to our kids, "I messed up. Forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done," and we can model that. You know. Being an authentic Christian, making Christ your Lord, it gets into how we take criticism. Are we defensive? Do we make excuses? Do we always have to be right? Do we need to sort of stand up for ourselves? Or are we humble and teachable? Because we we know God's opinion of us. So it really doesn't matter anyone else's opinion. God's opinion of us is that we are his beloved child. And so we don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to act like we're always right. We don't need to be prideful. We can be humble. And then there's grace. Grace is what leads us to make him our king. Grace is the way out. Grace is Jesus, you know, there in the river, rescuing us, pouring out His his blood. And that's the incredible balance. You know, we, we make Jesus our King and our Lord when we see how costly grace is. And we're going to get into this a little bit next week. You know, those two houses that are built on sand and rock, they look the same. But they're totally different because one is built on grace and one is built on falseness and trying to earn our own salvation. We are saved by the grace of God alone. We are saved by what Jesus has done. And that's the authentic Christian, that we understand that, that we believe in that, that no amount of good works is going to get us there. But when we grasp that, when we grasp what Jesus has done for us, the incredible love that he has poured out upon us, Our life changes. You know, our prayer life turns from just throwing up a flare every once in a while to this daily relationship with Him, this conversation with Him, knowing that He's there for us. Our marriages and families change. Our attitude toward work changes. Our church attendance changes. Our giving changes. When we understand that we can't outgive God, That God's grace is just flowing and flowing to us. And he's the one that we surrender to. That's how we do the will of our Father in heaven. Friends, there's those two things that Jesus says. I want all of us, everybody that hears the sound of my voice, everybody at home, everybody in the sanctuary, to hear the most incredible words at the end of our life. Well done good and faithful servant. Come, be with me for eternity. Trust in the Lord. Believe in Jesus and hope in him for all of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, show us what it means to surrender to you. Show us what areas of our life we're holding on to that we're trying to be king, that we're trying to be in control. We want to do the work of your Father in heaven. Holy Spirit, raise up faith and belief and trust in us so that we can do these things. As we sing, I surrender all, Lord. May we do so from our hearts. May we experience your presence, your peace, your comfort.